0: Jay Guru, everyone.
1: Jai Guru. Jai Guru.
0: Welcome to Minute Nine Awake, minute by minute podcast. I'm hosting this week Chris and listening is Priyank and Mike. Hello, guys. Priyank, how, how are you today? Obviously, meditation huh. this morning.
2: I'm very good. Meditation was good. I've started this thing where I do, I recite the Gita, like, um, and do a short meditation nice. online. So I've set this up for for that much of the dismay of my wife but you'll, yes. you'll, you'll
0: need to describe it for the folks listening uh, us. And...
2: yeah we, we just because the Gita obviously is a powerful thing and I do it every day so someone will ask me why don't you just live stream it so if you want if you want to take part of that go to Yogananda London on Facebook or Instagram and you can see those very good
0: Mike how are you today
1: I'm very well thank you my meditation was a bit short. I had like a friend coming over early. Um, and uh, with mm-hmm. some croissants. So it was it was cut short a little bit. But other than that, good to nice. day so far. Good day. Yeah.
0: Play some meditation with croissants, like it's pretty it's pretty close sometimes. It's been it better better in a good croissant, I suppose.
2: Um, well. sorry, I misspoke. I meant go to Yogananda friends. Sorry
0: gonna friends for for uh pre- <laughs> Insta- like yeah a reading. keep that stuff yes i think yeah you're, you're a proper uh, digital digital uh print you have a digital presence i pre-act, reading podcast digital readings
2: for my sins and
0: probably not to the joy of the world <laughs> yeah well my uh, I'll, I'll say my my meditation this morning to join you mike didn't didn't happen either so i meditated at 12 o'clock today for a, for a good good 30 minutes after i did my I read it, which was which was really nice. I, I find though if I don't get up and do the meditation in the morning, it is a lot more difficult to slow the day down to kind of get into it. But, but no, that's uh, that's good just to get it done. Um, so so yeah, this this uh, this um, minute is minute minute nine. So last minute we covered uh, the brotherhood of man and uh, what it means to be a guru and and yogic powers. So that that was quite fun. Um, so so this minute. We can jump straight into and um, we we have a scene that is becoming familiar it's the trains so we have another train scene um i think this is actually the third time that we have we've seen trains being included in the in the film so far so yeah i I wonder how many more times it's going to come up and i'm sure there is a meaning to this somehow and somewhere that we could we could probably probably pull out and maybe we should, but I'll, uh, I'll look at the first few seconds before we'll, we'll pause and go back to this. So we have the train scene and the noises of, of the train and going past uh, on, on the rails, you'll see the, the people uh, of India sitting with their garms and cooking on, on the side and running to try to catch the train. You hear the noise and the and the running of the feet, and immediately when I'm watching this, I'm, I'm transported to India again. I'm just wondering, you know, is this really is this what it's like? All the all the kind of chaos and and the noise, and and I imagine it is so. But for those who have actually been there, you know, Priyank, what's your what's your reaction to this? The initial few seconds of this scene.
2: Yeah, I thought it was it's a good idea it's a good concept that they've picked to like focus on different elements of the train the Indian railway train experience because in that experience when you take a train whether it's first class or sleeper or regular or whatever class it's it's like a mini experience of India in one little part of life there because Everything's there. Like, for example, the chaos of like markets and finding your seats. And then there's the, there's like little elements of like bribery. That oh, if you want a better seat or a sleeper carriage, just forget which ticket you have. Just give the guy a few few uh, notes, and he will upgrade. <laughs> He'll upgrade you and degrade someone else. And then and then the much uh, you know much discussed toilets in India. Similarly, trains didn't. You have that same (laughs) same vibe. Um, People hanging out the door. That kind of like lack of safety awareness. But actually, the most fun thing you can do. Like none of you guys probably would have done that. But you can just like one hand, one leg. And then the rest is flailing outside no one's gonna st- no one is gonna stop you
0: yeah, and quite it's so- in
2: the UK. <laughs> exactly it's so fun and then there's there's then they showed that little bit of someone you know as chris said uh, people running for the train and there's little uh, little businesses that are operating like purely because of the railways there and you can you can see that and then there's also um what's it called people using the train tracks to walk either to work or to family. I think it's to work. So it's like a family full on using the tracks as a walkway to get to somewhere. And that's obviously a very common thing that uh, that happens. Uh, from from a because I work on, as I mentioned before, I work on railways. The other interesting thing what I saw was that there was this railway worker there. I don't know if you guys saw this old man with like half like rural clothes like a thoughty or mm-hmm. something and then he also had like a semi ppe high visibility vest thing going on like self i don't know if it was self-manufactured but it's like slightly bright orange um mm-hmm. and, and then he's got the hammer uh which which railway maintenance tra- track maintenance people carry to like uh hammering pan drill mm-hmm. clips that hold the sleeper and the track together so it's quite it's quite cool a little bit of um play there by the directors, uh, showing all of that in the first 10 seconds, because there's a lot there and it really immerses mm-hmm. you again.
0: They've done that really well. Mm-hmm. And Mike, what's your what's your take on the opening few seconds?
1: Um, I think it's a really good way to, sh- to move from one scene to the next or to move ahead in time or something. Um, also, um, they also show that trains are such a big part of Indian culture. I think these days maybe not as much as they used to be because now the long distance journeys people might fly rather than taking the train but especially in Guruji's days um, his dad worked for the railroads and whenever like when he tried to escape to the Himalayas he would be on a train and then on the next train right and then his brother Mm -hmm. catches him somewhere in a carriage or Mm -hmm. something like that Um, so it's it is such a Uh, It's like Priyank said, it's a bit like a way to immerse, to show we're in India, this is kind of how India works and and the scene where people hang out the door is just just great. It's just, but it's a bit like also what you expect, everybody has seen those pictures of India, right, where people are on top of the train or hanging from the side of of a packed train or something, Mm -hmm. not not for fun, but because there's no space left inside the train, right? So you're just hanging on the side of it. Uh, it's, it's funny it's like um I remember when I went to India in like 2006 I took a train once to from Delhi to Kolkata um and because that was people told me that's the way to go so I was like okay so how long was it take? we were like 17 hours <laughs> so we just I was like what 17 hours on a train um but it's um I think we we booked like second class air conditioned so it was quite comfortable. They brought us food all the time. And we were like a group of five friends. So we had a good time. But it's mm-hmm. just and and the funny thing is a, a lot of times this train doesn't go very fast. Sometimes you think like I could walk next to this train. I could like get out, pick some flowers, jump back on the train or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. it's
0: it's certainly not Japanese. <laughs> it's experience. not a bullet train. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but also you see so much of the landscape. You look outside and on one side you see the the mountains, the foothills, and on and you see mm-hmm. fields and yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is it's really good. It's very Indian the way they put this in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful scene. and, and it has like a guitar rift. Is that is that um, does anybody recognize the instrument being played there? It's maybe a sitar. Again, I, I I guess, but it, it's a really cool uh, cool way to, to open up uh, the minute. And I, whenever I see trains, I have to say like maybe I have some kind of affiliation with it myself. Like I met my fiance on a, on a train, and we always you know tell the story about how we met on train, and you know it's maybe romantic and everything. But I, I was reading the Second Coming of Christ uh, this morning. And there was a discussion on Satan and how the satanic force really was the creator of reincarnation and how then God's initial plans, this is Yogananda talking, God's initial plans was really how we were meant to live uh, in, in pure kind of bliss and peaceful harmony, you know, there wasn't meant to be all this pain and suffering going on and chaos in the world. And it talked there a little bit about how we were literally not meant to feel pain and meant to be the observer and being able to see our body if there was any suffering going on as like what we would see a third person be detached from it. And there was was a line in there that talked about the journey Kind of getting on and getting off at the beginning and the end and and it does make me think of the metaphorical kind of train you kind of get on the train you get off the train and it kind of made me think like oh that's maybe what life's journey sh- you know should be like you should just get on the train like enjoy the beautiful scenery as you said like and just get it you know get off and maybe go on another journey uh you know as god had planned but um so often we you know we we really suffer along the way of this journey. And it just does make me think of journeys and, and life and, and how we, uh, yeah, not to kind of read into it too much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, the significance of, of trains is uh, it maybe, maybe speaks more to me than, than it's meant or intended in this. But uh, we'll, we'll move on, shall we? Um, because brother Vishwananda makes an appearance and uh, this is his uh, second appearance uh, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the film so far and his feet are shown, uh, and his blessed feet, I believe uh, is, is as he put it, are shown. Um, and, and I thought it was it was very nice uh, what he said, which was every soul is on a journey. People are at different levels of that journey. Uh, and then you have these scenes of the flashing uh, things of people hanging off the trains, as, as we mentioned. Um, so, so he, he continues to say, "I think we all believe that there is more to life than what we experience every day." Mike, what's your what's your take on on Brother Fish statements there?
1: Yeah, I mean, we um, he got introduced um, uh, like I think one or two minutes ago already in the in the scene. So um, they they put him this time they put him on the train and they show him. Um, he's sitting there with Brahmachari Shekhar and he's meditating on the train, which is, I find, a great scene. I like it because I feel like those trains, they're not really the most peaceful place in the world. And when you sit there and you can meditate, it's pretty great. And then his, um, his um, quote, it's, um, I mean, I feel like there's two different parts that, that are like that Every every soul is on a journey and people are at different levels in that journey. That, that makes a lot of sense, um, in the sense of that um, everybody at the end is looking for God, and there might be a different path to God, but at the end we all we all go to the same place. Some people might be closer, or some people might be taking this route, and some people might be taking this route. And that mm-hmm. kind of makes us, makes us all brothers in the same quest, kind of. Um, and the second part that there is more to life than, um, that, that we believe that there's more to life than the everyday experience that is a very powerful thought because almost, I don't think anybody can really deny that when you live like a normal material life and you think about what is the purpose of my life and you don't know, you go like, why don't I know? I mean, I have... I have a job, I have family, blah, blah, blah. And you still think, what is the purpose of my life? Then everybody has this kind of thing in them where they go, like, there must be something more. So it's an intriguing question he asked there.
2: Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think the cinematography and the scene selection fit very well with what he was about to say, the journey that we're, we're talking about and the chaotic nature of the journey that they portray uh, in terms of, you know, the Indian life, the Indian culture is symbolic of our chaotic journey, isn't it? And so I thought it was quite a nice segue that uh, We discussed that in detail and we didn't plan that, but it was quite a nice segue into this, this, this bit that um, brother Vishvananda says. Um, mm-hmm. He, obviously he's, he he's, he served in the Indian ashrams for 18 years or something along those lines. So no doubt he would have probably learnt um, Hindi or a lot 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 of uh, or one of the other local languages. So it would not that that all that chaos that's happening isn't new to him. He's very much probably part of it, even though he serves now at uh, at Mother Center in in Los Angeles. But yeah, I thought it was really good and the The opening shot of the photo, where, or the the scene where his feet are recorded, is poignant because in in our uh, traditions and culture, we that is the element of the the most important element. Also, most it's it's a very unique way in, in terms of cultures around the world to portray your your devotion and your surrender to someone because you, you know, it's quite demeaning in the West, isn't it? If someone, if, if you, if, if you ask someone to do something for your feet, it's, you've, it's felt like it's demeaning. But in India, that is, that is not the case in any way. And in fact, it's actually seen as a sign of piety. So for example, when you, Krishna was, uh, was born in Mathura uh, in, in North India, near Delhi, and he was—he spent his childhood in Vrindavan, which is um, nearby. And I, I went there ten years ago, and then I, you know, I had a lovely time. It's a—it's a place of pilgrimage for for many many people around the world. But then I read in a scripture somewhere um, his um, Uddhava, his cousin, when he was entering Krishna's abode in Mathura or Vrindavan, before he stepped into the village, he. Not only did he think of Krishna's feet, he thought, "Oh, Krishna has graced this dirt on this ground by his presence, and this is obviously this is God. So before I even think to enter, let me pay respect to this dirt that's touched the feet of Krishna. So before he entered that vicinity, he actually bowed down, prostrated completely, and took the dirt and applied it to it uh, to his forehead and that's and, and his neck as well. So that's symbolic in in Indian culture of you know surrender and devotion to god and gurus and we tend to apply all that also that relationship to our parents in india so we we take the dust the the term is to take the dust off the feet of someone who you who is dear to you all that you respect so it's very poignant and powerful that they chose that uh, that scene because brother Vishwananda is obviously uh, um, a brother he's a minister so we naturally respect him and in Indian tradition, that that form of respect is shown by um, by taking the dust off the feet of a saint or a holy person, such as Krishna, um, etc. So I thought it was very nice that touch.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he also he talked he's talked so beautifully. I don't know if they rehearsed that, but mm-hmm. for example, he, he he talked two very simple lines, but so beautifully articulated. Not just articulated, but the, the diction that he had and the the feeling that he said them with for example the last part of the quote which is um, I think we believe that there's more to life than what we experience every day and what we experience every day is is switched to like this white background and he's just in a white room uh, completely devoid of the previous scene and he, he kind of tilts his head and he says experience every day and it's it was such a it's such a it's such a small thing that he didn't think about probably in any way but it it's so beautiful to to just see that and to connect it allows you to connect with what he's saying so so nicely so if you if you can go back and just watch how he says those lines and expresses them so he's actually i think he's actually he's not just reading a script he's speaking from the heart and it shows through his you know his demeanor, his, the way he's, he's delivered his, his that that, that message, and, and through his facial expressions, you know, one of sympathy,
0: etc. Yeah, I, when I watched, I, I could see the twinkle in his eye, and that it was it was that you know the real spiritual kind of glint of of um, of uh, amusement, you know, in, in his eye when he said it, uh, I I thought it was great, and then we had the two of them sitting together uh and and um going about their business i suppose on on the journey and It was quite a nice shot of, of the two of them um I, I think they were both reading or at least had material in their hands um and uh is it uh, brother uh uh Shikara or dramaturhi uh, at the time yes yes and not now um Pradank, you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation now he's brother kamalananda Kamalananda, thank you. Yes. Uh, and Brother Kamalananda and no, I, uh, he was um, maybe multitasking. You know, he had his left hand with with the phone to his ear, uh, and the right hand, he, you know, it looks like he was holding the autobiography of a yogi because you see um, Guruji's face and you know his eyes looking up at you in the shot, just you know watching you. Uh, and uh, I, I thought I thought this was quite quite a cool scene because. It's like the modern day monk, isn't it? Um, on, on the phone, maybe doing business, uh, a business call, a personal call. Um, and it, it made me made me think like, what, what, do, what do you guys, I was keen to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think it's becoming harder to be a renunciate in, in this day and age where information is so readily available with this world of Maya is Essentially, distracting us from from our true nature, forgot from, from God. And mobile phones these days is it's glued to most people's hips or hands. And obviously, um, it's probably not being used in that way in, in this case. But I just I just thought I'm going to ask the guys what they think. So, what, what do you think? Is it is it going to be harder to be a monk these days than what it used to be?
1: Um, I. I'm not sure. I don't think it is. I feel like if you think about what renunciant really means, I don't think it means you renounce um a phone or you renounce every every technology that there is, right? What you renounce is you're living your life for your pleasure. You were, you basically want to become a hundred percent faithful disciple of your guru and give your life to him. And And I feel like Guruji will tell you to organize a meeting. Guruji will tell you to meet other devotees. Guruji will tell you to travel. And those kind of things, they are, um, those little gadgets, they make those kind of things easier. Um, They make it like you can sit on the train and answer emails that devotees have sent you, for example. And you can sit there and you, I don't know, maybe you're, I'm not sure if somebody does that for you, but maybe you you can sit there and already book the next flight for the next place. Um, I don't know. I I feel like it makes you um, more efficient if, if you primarily use it in the way that a monk is using it. I don't really see a contradiction there. Of course, the distractions are much more numerous than they used to be. And everything is becoming more complex because with this new efficiency that you have, you are able to to interact with devotees all over the world all the time, right? And you become also very available, right? And then I can I can see some of the monks; they must be <laughs> having full inboxes from from people who keep writing them. And right now we're in this COVID pandemic still, and I can imagine even more people are writing them mm-hmm. right now. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's harder, but. Maybe in a time like this, it could be, I can imagine it to be a lot more stressful than, like I can imagine in the old days, you are in your ashram and you have some visitors and you accommodate them. I, I, everything was a bit simpler, I guess. Now it's everything yeah. is becoming more complex.
0: Yeah, this, this is along my line of thinking. I actually thought, well, has it become easier? In a, mm-hmm. arguably, could you say that we've got access to information now more than we've ever, being able to, mm. to to have so, you know guruji's teachings and you know i just think back to times when um you know before jesus christ and you know around those times, where can you get a message out to to people well you can't really you know it's just modern day technology has not made it easier and and the three of us just to, to your point mike it, i think this is this is exactly it you know we're communicating with technology and we're talking about spiritual healthy and so Yogananda talks about bringing, having material and spiritual wealth. And I think it, the two go hand in hand, which is why I actually thought the analogy of, of, he's got one hand with technology and the other hand with, with the book. And I just thought that's such a cool thing because I think the two go hand in hand and, and we're gonna to have to learn whilst we've got immense material wealth in the West and the, you know, the East is catching up um, to, to that wealth we have to balance it with spirituality i just i just thought that that um observation is is really critical because we have to really learn to balance it. your your thoughts um,
2: yeah okay? agreed totally agreed um i'll just relate a story why I, I, a few years ago i was going on a pilgrimage to a place called gailash uh, which is in tibet and um my father-in-law said oh how are you gonna he said you can't live without your phone and i said yes i can and he said no the modern modern youth is glued to their phone and i was like yeah that's because we we do a lot of not only do our social interactions rely on the phone quite heavily but also we do most of our businesses with technology for example i serve in in young adult Sangha, where with volunteers around the world, we're doing this podcast with, you know, people three three different countries across the oceans, basically. And, you know, when people are joining us from other parts of the world, like we had Carolina from Brazil, et cetera. So it's obviously aiding us as well. So I remember when I went to that pilgrimage, I I shaved off my head and I didn't take my phone. And I had no intention of looking at technology for those um two or three weeks that I was going on the pilgrimage for. And you know, people talk about you know phone anxiety or no phone anxiety. I don't know what it's called, but if you are fixed in your sadhana, like you don't you don't meditate with a phone, do you? You don't unless you're doing an online meditation. <laughs> but oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but you don't you don't need a phone to meditate or to derive mm-hmm. the joy from a meditation um, or you know the feeling of peace or samadhi if you, if, if that's in your experience and. It was easy you know there was absolutely no need for my phone you know if, if i wanted to if i felt like i needed to talk to someone rather than speaking to mike or chris i'd speak to the other person that's on the bus with me and you know you don't need technology for that mm-hmm. so it was quite easy for me and we, you mentioned the material prosperity of the west versus the the east and i thought i'd share this lovely story by um Brother Anandamoy, he was he was telling us in his um, talk about loyalty. Um, I think it was that one. Uh, loyalty, the highest spiritual law. It was a beautiful talk. I'd highly recommend it. Um, if he was saying he was looking for this picture of Krishna, like he had it in his mind, he'd seen it somewhere on the bus or something, and so he was in India and he was looking for this picture and he went to all these shops and he couldn't find the one that he had in his mind and then he was in the place he was staying he went to the kitchen or the servants quarters um, and the lady there had had a small worn picture of the one that he was talking about and he's like that's the one that's what i wanted and and she she was in the room obviously he wasn't speaking to her but she, she 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 saw that he um he had some connection with that picture and she just literally took it down and, and said here take this picture and brother and the boy was like no no i can't take this you know this is your thing and and she said no no you take it this is this is actually a service for me you know to, to, to give it to you and he, he talked about renunciation in that and spirituality like in in how quickly she was able to announce. So she would, you know, the servants in India and maids, et are usually extremely poor and they don't have many possessions. So pictures pictures are actually, you know, especially pictures of God they actually purchase and they wouldn't have many of. And so how quickly she just literally gave, gave one of her possessions. Um, and, you know, we talk about uh, wealth, but how easy is it for someone who, who doesn't even have much to renounce that wealth and look at, look at that spiritual, sp- spiritual um, prowess that she has compared to us where mm-hmm. we struggle if we don't have our phone, let alone a, a picture like, like this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was reading a, a prayer this, this morning um, that said, um, I, I care not for what I may permanently possess, but give me the power to acquire at will uh, what I may need in my daily life. And I thought that that's super powerful, isn't it? Because it's surrendering and to say to God, that God has everything and as a child, therefore we have everything that, that we need and, and, and more. So yeah, awesome. Uh, thanks thanks for sharing. Um, so in, in this picture, when we see the two monks uh, sitting, there's some text and it says on a pilgrimage in India, so when I when I read this pilgrimage, it's such a such a um, provocative word for me, pilgrimage. And I just um, I know Priyank, you've certainly done a pilgrimage, uh, maybe one or two in your life, Mike. Uh, maybe you can share with us if you've done any yourself, um, when when aware. where. But uh, yeah, for, for me, when when I when I hear or see this word, I immediately see or picture in my mind's eye like people in shrouds, you know, walking up. Or hiking a mountain with 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 their hoods up and big walking sticks or something like this, and it's it's a very ancient kind of practice. But maybe you can share with us, Priyank, uh, some of the pilgrimages you've done, and maybe even what a pilgrimage is, first and foremost.
2: Yeah. So the conventional definition of a pilgrimage is that you you're traveling or journeying to a place, but or a spiritual place, or a place of some spiritual significance. Uh, But it's obviously much, um, much deeper than that. So part of the process for the pilgrimages that I've been on lays emphasis not on the outward or the physical journey, but the journey of letting go and transforming yourself. So that is the emphasis of the pilgrimage, and that's the true meaning of it, because you can use anything you can use to transform your life, any tool you can use, right, to transform your life, but a pilgrimage, especially the ones which are renowned, like the the, the one I went to in in Kailash, I'll give you some crude example. For example, you may, you know, you might might, um, have a very big appetite for food, which, you know, a lot of us do and you don't think anything of it but when you go on a pilgrimage to Kailash say or any um, high altitude place so Kailash is uh, the, the, the foothills of Kailash is where, where you walk to is uh, 5,000 meters or 15,000 feet so at that level uh, the obviously the, air, the oxygen levels and the pressure mean that it really plays with your system so you get a lot of altitude sick. A lot of people get altitude sickness, like I did. Um, and your appetite goes down. So whether you like it or not, even if you have all the the best facilities, if you were traveling in a chariot of a king, the king will experience the same as the beggar that has nothing. And you'll have to deal with that. And that is the pilgrimage: dealing with that difficulty, that harshness, and it it transform it it, it you. If you don't deal with it, you you won't survive. You'll just turn around. So to make it to the the foot you know, the point of the pilgrim pilgrimage, you have to transform yourself, and that is the the journey, and that's the process that you're undertaking, and it forces you to do it. So I I lost a lot of weight, for example. I didn't eat much i got got a lot of travel sickness but i didn't want to take the, um, the the medication but it was it was such a beautiful experience because then when when you're there when you make it there you you've let so much of your clutter you've left it behind you know along the path and you can you just open at that point you're just so much more open to a process or being in that in that physical location than you ever would have been if you had you not have made uh, the pilgrimage so for example the, 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 the tibetans take that to uh an extreme level so when when they go to Kailash, like we were just walking in our you know superficially we had like a, a bus etc and then we took it virtually to the last spot and we had to work walk two or three days to the last point but the the Pilgrims in Tibet and also the people from India that would travel. can you imagine thousands of miles? This is not just a two or three day hike. this is thousands of miles that they, that they would be traveling to. And it would, be su- it would be such a big journey for them that they would actually say they would say, they'd say goodbyes to their family because a lot of them wouldn't make it back. So Tibetans, even right now, if you, if you go to, to these places, the Tibetan Buddhists, they don't just walk every single step is a full salutation so with every step they take they go down on their knees and completely lie down and bow down to that step that they've taken and then they get up and they take the next step can you imagine walking you know hundreds or however many miles that they've come and every single step that is what they're doing so it is you know can you imagine (laughs) the transformation and these, these, you know, these aren't these aren't very. You can tell they're not very rich. Um, they're not rich people. These are materially they're 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 very poor. But can you imagine the the willpower, the devotion, their state of spiritual um,
0: being? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something I really hope to experience someday through the pilgrimage and. Uh, I think as soon as I read the autobiography of a UK, I was looking okay. I, you know, looking at the places I I'm going to, I'm going to try to get to at some point. But Mike, I think you you've done, you've got some experiences with pilgrimages.
1: Yeah, but um, not really in the way that Priyank just mentioned. I feel like a lot of those pilgrimage places in Europe, um, there's a few. There's like there's one in Austria where I'm from. Um, there's Marietzel and they have like a picture of the Virgin Mary that's like a thousand years old and and miracles happen when you go there. <laughs> but then these days you drive there, right? And the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the one the one that I, um, a lot of people still do on foot is the Camino de Santiago. That's very famous in Europe. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it but it's basically, there's a route from anywhere in Europe Um, A lot of people do it from England or from Italy, France, or even from Eastern Europe, because it's the endpoint is Spain so. um, You basically walk and at the the last portion like in northern Spain there's actually um, there's a path where you can walk and there is. um, um, Every. Like I, I would say that the distance that you would walk in a day, there is um, uh, a bed and breakfast or something similar where people stay, and in a in a in a uh, not during the pandemic, but usually you would find quite a lot of people there that that went on this journey. A lot of people do this to find themselves or something like this. Not all mm-hmm. of them are super spiritual, but it's um, it's uh, the closest that I can think of in Europe of what Priyank was describing of what a pilgrimages, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds like people do it for different reasons.
1: Yeah, yeah, um,
0: yeah. And it's like the first or maybe even the last sort of step on many, many people's mm-hmm. spiritual journey on Earth. Very um, cool. Uh, so we, we have we have the scene then with the, with the monks and uh, Brother Vishwananda actually saying, going into the second part of that statement that, that I made earlier, uh, that people believe that there's more to life um, than the everyday experiences and, and we have um, a, a lovely scene here with uh, young uh, young Yoranda, um sitting sitting uh, amongst trees uh, and meditating uh, and he's looking very peaceful isn't he? He's, he's uh, you know eyes closed in, in lotus posture with, with the beads um, with the beads on and you know for years I never really knew what the beads were actually four when I saw people with beads. Um, and uh, of course, of course, now, you know, maybe I, I know a little bit more about it. And it's to do with, you're wearing some, go, go ahead. Yes, I what,
2: am, yes. So I'm wearing, wear? I'm wearing Rudraksh. Um, so uh, you can, you can research uh, Rudraksh. There's a, there's a big, um, there's a big science about what, oh, what materials you have, that are touching your skin and what impact they have on, on your body and your environment, et cetera. And obviously, in, in SRF, we we also wear, well, <clears throat> a lot of people wear astrological bangles, such as the one that I'm, I'm wearing, which has uh, gold, silver, and, and copper. So it's along along the line. So I, I really liked this um, picture of young, young Mukunda, um, because he was wearing his tulsi tulsi beads, um, so tulsi is a very sacred sacred plant um, in in India. That's associated with uh, divinity, and so th- that he's wearing some tulsi beads, I believe. And he's wearing a very simple uh, dhoti outfit. So it's very beautiful. I, I really love the detail that they they put yeah. on you know the props that they put on these kind of shots, because the not not only is his you know the, the actor that plays this this little this child that's playing this role is is just so beautiful, isn't he? So he, he plays mm-hmm. it so elegantly, and he's he's somehow managed to portray like a very powerful gaze even at a, <laughs> even at a, such a young age. But the props mm-hmm. that they've appareled him with are really very nice.
0: Very cool. And then of course we've got um, I think it's the first showing of Mr. Deepak Chopra, uh, which which is uh, yeah very very cool to see him in the in the film. Um, and really, epac it says offer holistic healer, uh, health pioneer. Uh, and pioneer is, 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 I suppose, the, the word in many many respects there. And um, going to your point earlier, Priyanka, about um, you don't normally meditate with your phone. Do you know? I've got a confession that I actually initially started meditating with my phone, <laughs> <laughs> and it was through a, an app called the, I think it's called Timer app, if I remember. Um, And Deepak is on this app, uh, along with probably hundreds of other practitioners, meditators, yoga instructors and things, um, and talks through mantras uh, and healing techniques and things like this. Um, So that was my very first experience in Deepak. I've I've got a soft spot for for Deepak (laughs) because of that. So when I hear his voice, you know, it takes me back to those times, 2016, when really I started on my journey. Um, and yeah, for, for those who, who don't know, um, Deepak Chopra, uh, a quick introduction. He, he was a, he is a licensed physician and in 1980 became a chief of staff to the New England Memorial Hospital, NEMH. Uh, so in 1985, he met Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and became involved in the Transcendental Meditation Movement. Uh, so yeah, shortly after that, I think um, it was... Um, Maharishi, Maharishi Yogi asked him to set up a, a Ayurvedic um, uh, uh, practice, uh, and and he did so. Uh, and yeah, he he left the uh, AMH to to do that. Um, and there, there's an interesting part when when I was <clears throat> did a quick search on this. Yeah, uh, it was Deepak who said that he left um, because he. Started to feel like a legalized drug pusher, and in his opinion, 80% of the drugs he was prescribing to people were um, quite useless and and, and um, uh, didn't really have much of an impact on them, or had a marginal benefit. And I just thought that was that was quite an interesting thing. And again, made me think of the East and West integration. You know, somebody who was a medical doctor and a practitioner, you know, prescribing drugs in the way that in the U.S. they they would prescribe and. I think we've probably all seen documentaries and on the on the practices of the United States and how they're kind of drug crazy in the pharmaceutical industry over there. So I really empathise when I, when I heard this and thought, you know, good on him for really taking up the, the challenge and going on to be a success as, as he is now. Um, so yeah, uh, he's he's uh, he's here um, and he um, and he talks about Yogananda uh, and and. He says, Yogananda happens to be what I would call a spiritual prodigy, a spiritual genius, uh, which would mean having access to a domain of awareness that most people don't have access to. Like a mathematical genius or like mathematical geniuses, he explored a much larger territory in the spiritual domain. So this is this is Deepak. Coming in and giving his definitions of, of of Yogananda, which I suppose differ to the definitions that we're accustomed to to some degree, right? Um, but Mike, what, what's your what's your uh, take on uh, uh, Deepak? Are, are you are you happy to see him in the film?
1: Oh yeah, I'm happy to see him in the film. I would say describing Yogananda as a prodigy is a bit of an understatement, um, but it, I, I guess you need to use the vocabulary that you're familiar with, and I I think. His intention was to praise him, and um, I, I think he also. I, um, when I started hearing about Deepak Chopra ages ago, I think he was he was like based in New York, and I think he he moved to California now, and he ha- actually has like um, a Chopra Center now somewhere near Encinitas, California. So, um, and he does really interesting things. Um, he is he he has the he, he has the right instincts when it comes to medicine, right? Because as you said, his background is being a physician. And so he knows um, that it's good for some things, but he also knows the limitations and And he's interested to work on those crossroads of spirituality and medicine. Um, and I, I feel like the, the, the stuff he says, like I, I read one um, a Medium article about him where he talks about uh, the biofields phenomenon, which is basically where he says that every body emits a, an electric field and we can measure that with our devices. So we are aware of that. Well, he also says that this biofield keeps changing. He says our mood changes the biofield. And he says he created or he he works with um, companies and universities and stuff. And he they created a device that can actually Um, detect your mood and upload it directly into into an app, into a cloud uh, computer. And so he can have people wear those devices and then see what mood they're in, for example. Mm -hmm. And he says you can use that to diagnose people and then you can, he he does experiments like where he plays music and then he sees how their biofield changes and he sees the future of medicine in what he calls or that the field is called energy healing. And I think this sounds very promising. This this is um, probably a crossroads of modern medicine with like maybe some Vedic old knowledge. And I feel like there's probably a lot of promise to this. And so I, I think he's he's like, um, I, I like his work. I find it exciting. Very cool,
2: I liked uh, the last point you said, Mike, about um, about the energy, because um, energy healing, because when you were talking about us generating an electric field, uh, we may call it an aura, aura as well, I suppose, if you could probably do the inverse as you kind of alluded to in the healing. So for example, if we know the field and the patterns that are associated with bliss, or love mm-hmm. and joy, and we generated that artificially in a room uh, at high power. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, walked, walked, and we walked into that space and meditated there. Surely, surely we would uh, be much more receptive to that, because then not only well, our field would interact with that field. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there, there are all sorts of devices like that with limited um, effectiveness.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I like how Deepak Chopra is, uh, is is wearing. He looks like such a cool East West scientist, doesn't he? Mm. He's wearing this like black um, overcoat that's like a, kind of a hybrid. It feels like a uh, something that you I, I wore at my wedding, for example, but the white version. But also that's perfectly permissible in a business, you know, executive meeting, etc. And he's got a very nice uh, murti or a statue in the background. I think it's either Krishna holding playing the flute or the dancing Nataraja Shiva form but it's very cool the purple background it looks fun it looks fantastic doesn't it
0: yeah and there's like mystical music playing in the background and yeah. and it looks like water some kind of liquid form um, uh, which which takes you from 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 seeing Deepak to seeing uh, young Mukunda, young Yogananda Walking down the steps, which which ends the minute uh, there, so it's uh, it's it's quite well done, isn't it? And uh, this, this minute and uh, does take you from, from the initial journey through from the train scene uh, and and uh, really takes on a little mini pilgrimage uh, to, to the end here to set you up for the next minute. So uh, yeah, any any reflections then on on this minute from from other yourself. Mike
1: yeah, um, I just wanted to acknowledge that, that when they bring someone like Deepak Chopra in, it just shows how Yogananda is at the root of so many different things, you know, he comes to the West, he teaches yoga, which is like this vast, different way to look at life and everything. And so many things, um, they got created from it, or they he helped create so many. And there's so many people in so many different fields that feel like um, if it weren't for Yogananda they wouldn't be where they are and so mm-hmm. and they got inspired by him so it shows the impact that he had in his life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah I, I it just um, spurs a thought I didn't actually mention um, that when we talked about um, like genius uh, you know Deepak said that uh, Yogananda was a spiritual genius i kind of thought to myself well what does that mean like what does he mean by that uh, and uh, I, I did a couple of google searches and uh, it came across um actually sorry no it was it was on the second coming of christ um uh, i was reading and i was reading the autobiography of a yogi where i was looking up where does it mention genius there and it does mention it in in the uh, autobiography of a yogi uh, on the footnote um, I think it's on chapter uh, 7, page 41, you can find it, uh, where it talks about the French professors uh, were the first in the West to be able to scientifically investigate the possibilities of superconsciousness, consciousness uh, the super mind. So, Professor uh, Jules Bois, uh, a member of the L'école de uh, Psychologie uh, of the uh, Sorbonne. Um, so he lectured in America in 1928 and um, he recognised the superconscious super superconscious mind there, uh, which uh, runs contradictory to Freud's subconscious mind, uh, and is the faculty in which uh, man really, uh, w- which differentiates man from from the animal and, and doesn't categorise man as a super animal. So uh, I, I thought I thought that was quite an interesting point there to make, but goes on to say. Um, that um, Jules Bois explained that the awakening of the higher consciousness was not to be confused with Cousin or hypnotism, uh, but existence of a superconscious mind has long been recognized philosophically, being in reality the oversoul spoken of by Emerson, but only recently has it been recognized significantly. So the French scientists pointed out uh, that from the superconsciousness comes inspiration, genius, moral values, and belief in this is not mysticism, though it recognized the val- uh, and valued the qualities which mystics preached. So I just thought this idea that genius comes through connection really to the superconscious mind. And to me, that's where the grits, you know, whether it be in mathematics as, as um, Deepak, mentioned or in spirituality or whatever it might be they tap into the superconscious field where thoughts let's say exist uh, and and they can draw upon that uh, in that sense so I, I thought I thought that was quite a cool uh snippet to throw in uh, I forgot but uh, any more for any more Priyank? a couple of things so yeah uh,
2: really nice, I, I really like the footnotes in the autobiography sometimes you, you you got through a long chapter and then the footnote is sometimes longer than the whole page and you're like oh gosh this is going to take <laughs> me ages but then you read it and you're like wow there's so much great stuff there and also it's not just uh, Yogananda's uh, writings obviously if you, if you read uh, recent a uh, very recent uh, version of, of the autobiography that's released by Self-Realization Fellowship then you'll see that you know latest scientific developments that back up or further emphasize something that Yogananda was saying as, as Chris just alluded to would also be added in there so it's really interesting especially for a scientific mind such as or such as the one that I, I um, have been trained to possess. <laughs> a couple of things I wanted to talk about quickly so we, <clears throat> we talk about Brahmachari Shekhar who became brother Kamalananda Nanda means uh, lotus or like a red color, um, so it's a very nice name. Kamal. So uh, Kamal is the uh, Kamala is the lotus and Ananda. All all monks in SRF have a name and then Ananda. So uh, I think that's in connection with yoga Nanda, perhaps. But uh yeah, that's really nice. So I just wanted to put out uh, ask the question actually, if uh, p- perhaps one of you guys know or one of the listeners can tell me. When does a postulant become a brahmachari? And what does it, when does a brahmachari become a brother? What's the does anyone know about the demarcations and what the vows or whatever you have to take or states of consciousness that you have to attain before you move from one to the other?
1: Um, I'm not sure if there's not even a step in between. Still, I think postulant is only the first year or two, and then you become a novice. I think. um oh, yes, yes. And I think it's when you wear blue, and mm. then and then you go. But I, I I'm not really sure what, what ceremonies are involved from moving one from one to the next.
2: So listener, unless Chris knows, yes. listener, please do message us. That would be interesting information for us. Uh, one other thing before we go, we've had feedback, good some good feedback that I wanted to just cover. So on our um, social media channels, Awake on Facebook and Instagram, we use, we tend to release um, snippets of you know media that are relevant for the minute. So a couple of minutes ago, we obviously talked about um, the lovely uh, Lady Marsha, and someone wrote this comment. Oh, the autobiography of a yogi, the most amazing book that a child can read and has changed lives of millions. Please read it today. It is more relevant today than ever before. That's uh, someone just you know, off the cuff comment. Someone else responds saying, well, we won't do names because uh, it's a bit personal, I suppose, um, have already gone through, but in my case, I developed anxiety. Anxiety for not able to see or meet Babaji, anxiety for not able to control my thoughts instead of let go of thoughts, and I'm getting carried away with it. So, let's 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 that's an interesting little discussion. there. let's discuss that, Michael. Chris, as you start. What would you say to
0: person B? Yeah, I, I, person B, I mean, I, I would, um, anxiety is a funny one, isn't it? Like, if you, if you think of you know, we we kind of throw these words around, but what what do we really mean by it? And I think anxiety is undue expectation and and judgment, really, you know, that's at the, if you look at the root causes of what essentially would be high blood pressure and nervousness, you know, and and Yogananda talks really about how to um, go about uh, you know, relieving yourself of anxiety. So to, to the to the um person who made the comment, uh the you know the, the information's in, in there in Yogananda's teachings really taught how to alleviate it. But I would I would definitely say that, that you know anxiety unfortunately is universal. Uh, I, <laughs> I think everybody's probably experienced anxiety for from one uh from from one topic to another. Um but uh for 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 me it's you know, it, it's something that I can share, maybe share something with you that I, I remember asking a question to uh, to someone that, how do I know if Yogananda is my guru? And, you know, I've been doing the teachings and started the lessons and, and really went down that road, but maybe felt as this person has felt that they have anxiety to an extent for not being able to meet Babaji or control their thoughts in that sense. So uh, the answer was, well, you know, you, you already, you already are with them, you're already, you know, you're with them and they're with you through the teachings. So it connected me to, to the teachings and Babaji's teachings are really coming through the SRF. So Babaji is already with you, uh, of sorts. Um, so fear not, have no anxiety, because he is already with you. Mike?
1: Very beautiful. Yeah, I can I completely agree. I I feel like the be having anxiety is already like comes from the right um desire to see Baba I mean when when you don't see Baba right away and you feel anxiety because of that, I guess it's like Chris said, it's like this expectation that you want God and He's just right there. Like, it's like some, yeah, there's a bit of struggle involved, I guess. Um, but um, it's beautiful to see um, that, that there's people out there who have like this desire for Baba I I don't think anxiety should be something that pushes you away from it, but maybe as a response, maybe we sh- should do something to come closer to Baba G, try to get past that anxiety. Yeah. Yeah,
0: or, or, or use it. Yeah. I think some of some yeah. of the moments where I've had my greatest breakthroughs have been through the greatest struggle, you know, and mm-hmm. then to use that struggle for, because it's energy of sorts, and you know we feel the, the the stress and strain of life, and to simply direct that into whatever it is that you want to manifest, and and to surrender and let go, um, as, as the listeners quite rightly put, instead of instead of letting go of the thoughts, getting carried away with them. Um, uh, easier said than done. But then if you if you can't let go, then wield wield that energy and wield that anxiety for for uh uh for, for you uh for, for your own purposes.
2: I'll offer two takes from what you guys have just said, one supporting and one against. So the supporting one, I'll just start with that. So Yogananda says, quotes, I quote, um, the difference between you and Yogananda. Is that I made the effort, so that's Yogananda saying it. So we obviously we read about his yearning in the autobiography of how you know how much he wanted these, you know, to be close to God or to, for God to come into his life, and he didn't give up, did he? He'd meditate the whole night, and he wouldn't get up. And we remember, we remember that scene where he was meditating in the sun, you know, in the sun at one stage in the the, the temple, the Gali Temple. In Dakshinishwar. And so, you know, his resolution is is great. Uh, He may or may not have had anxiety, but his resolution was the distinguishing factor. So that's the supporting arguments. I'll offer the against now. So we also taught that. We do not. We should not focus on the fruits of the action that we're undertaking, because the, when we're focusing on the fruits, then the action and the activity becomes binding. So the cause of an anxiety in this sense could be that I want this out of my meditation or my life, and I'm not getting it, and hence anxiety comes into your life. But the the way we're actually told to meditate is yes to have that yearning and that desire but not the desire and the yearning for the fruit but actually to just offer yourself awesome. as a devotion you know as a practice without any emphasis on what peace you'll come out of it what joy comes out of it what ecstasy comes out of it all those things may come or they may not come and that's dependent on a, our practice and be the karma that we have you know right now so i think if if we place our emphasis on that you know offering ourselves for the sake of that offering to transform ourselves as opposed to for the fruit then there can be no anxiety if we can switch to that 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 train Mm. of thought
0: yeah, yeah, I 100%, 100% agree, Greg, you know, those two ones are great, and to, to Yogan, what Yogananda talks about as well is um, to uh, think of the uh, emotions as like a chemical lab, you know, you want to be mixing emotions, and you can come up with really potent and powerful energies if, if you mix certain emotions, uh, and uh, really to focus on the opposite, if you're feeling sadness, focus on happiness. Uh, and if you're feeling, um, yeah, unrest, focus on peace, and and yeah, don't have the consciousness like you said there of of the negative, vibration. So, yeah, to, what's the opposite of anxiety? To be peace, mm-hmm. joy, love. Uh, yeah, just purely focus on that, and mm. yeah.
1: And there's also no reason for anxiety because if you if you get some perspective, we've done thousands, maybe millions of incarnations, and very few of them we focused on God, right? And now we kind of feel like, okay, we, we feel like we want to get out of this cycle, we want God, and now we feel anxiety. I mean, we, <laughs> if we, it's also we kind of need to see that, that this is just a, a step-by-step process, and we, like Brian said earlier, Guruji has made the effort there's this saying that a saint is a sinner that never gave up right so you just have to well, keep at you just have to keep at it and then you um even though you're not not doing it for the fruits you're doing it for god but in the end god is what you want so mm-hmm. in the end he will reach your goal hopefully
2: mm-hmm. very nice yeah. i've got a second bit of feedback. This is more of just a sharing, or an outpouring, I suppose. And he, again, this is the comment from the picture of Lahiri Masha And this is, Mike and I were discussing this before this meeting, where, you know, I posted, we posted a picture of all of the line, the lineage of our gurus from, um, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda, Sri Yukteswar, Lahiri Mata Mahatar Babaji, Jesus Krishna and Jesus. So we and we I put them all on at the same time and we wanted to see how many like how many likes each one would get. And interestingly, Babaji came first and Lady Marshai came second. And they had the most comments as well. So that's an that's a interesting take. But in the, the case of Lady Marshai it generated quite a lot of comments. Um and I think we've discussed Lady Mahasaya in, in detail, so we won't go into that, but this this comment was, I think, was quite beautiful. He, this person has, says, has said, "He is true helper. My father was on the operation table for the operation of a brain due to brain hemorrhage. Doctors was earlier reluctant for his brain surgery, as it is thought that is tough, may, as it is tough and may result in a resultant paralysis of a body part so i told my mother that i'm going to delhi kendra so kendra in india is a center so delhi center srf center for better operation of my father and then he says i strongly prayed to lady Mashai for the good operation of my father when i reached back to hospital after prayer doctor was returning from operation theater and told me that he is seeing positive sign perhaps operation is not required therefore we can hold off the operation and since then my father has become okay without an operation which means victory to Lahiri Mahasai and I think he um, even said before this he, he used to keep a picture of Lahiri Mashai under his pillow um, so we, we hear these stories of the, the miraculous healings of you know from Lahiri Mahasai in the autobiography um, do we do we use Louis picture in, in this way? And either of you done anything like that? Uh,
0: I, I had um, the uh, SRF uh, gurus and saints um, behind water, uh, and I was told by one of the SRF uh, members that it would help, you know, maybe even purify the water, you know, just by simply having the gaze or the pictures there. So I, I actually did that for a while, to, to, to be honest, but. Uh, that's the height of it really,
1: part of my uh, mantelpiece that I have them up on. Nice. Um, n- not really. I I do have the classic, um, I have a guru picture in the car, protect me while I'm in the car, <laughs> and I have a uh, Yogananda picture in all of my rooms, but I must say I'm very focused on Yogananda when it comes to my pictures. I don't have I have an altar in my meditation area, but don't have too many pictures of the other gurus, to be honest.
2: Very interesting. the The other, you know, someone was telling me that um, that oh, don't oh, I was I was complaining early on in my um, practices. Oh, uh, I'm not sure if Yogananda has accepted me as his disciple yet. I'm not sure if uh, I'm getting that feeling. And this person, she told me that, oh, it doesn't have to be Yogananda. It can be anyone in the lineage. And, uh, you know, some people resonate with Lady Mahasaya. And, you know, and nothing that Yogananda writes or teaches or is in the lessons is contradictory to anything that Lady Mahasaya would say and vice versa. So it's not necessary that your personal relationship be strongest with Yogananda or any of those it can be to any one of them, mm. and that's absolutely fine, isn't it um mm. but i, I really like that story because because that this person that has said on Facebook about his um, dear father because we we're taught about the miraculous healing capability of just the mere thought of lahim mashai and and- Mahathir Babaji says um or there's a section that said even even someone who mentions Mahavatar Babaji gets an instant blessing and I really think I really really love that and I really don't personally I don't make take advantage of such blessings enough so when I'm when I'm praying for healing we know so many stories of the divine healing capabilities of living Marsha as we said and we can it's so easy for us to be able to connect and draw draw from that but I need to do that more. I'd love to do it as this person has done. What what a beautiful story! Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I uh, I moved from my uh, from London to, to Northern Ireland fairly recently, and I had four large boxes, one meter by one meter, uh, sort of one cubic meter uh, in size, and two of them got lost. And in it was you know my my pictures of masters and everything on, on Ritz, so I had to go buy them again uh, and um, yeah I, I had to to find them uh, again because they sort of disappeared from my life and initially I was like no no is just, it's just a sign have I not been meditating <laughs> so yeah I, I'm quite attached to the pictures and not seeing their faces but healing power so so that's that's it for the uh, ninth minute if anybody else has any other uh information that they want to add in or share i think we're good so next minute we can look forward to um uh talking about true spirit and consciousness and distant loves uh lives and, and visions and, uh mystics with special knowledge and, and the atomic age so plenty to talk about in the next minute so please, you will tune in checker hey
1: guru hey guru